Nashville SC eliminated from U.S. Open Cup play in the quarterfinals in a heartbreaker. They give up a late goal to Orlando, an equalizer that sends it to extra time. They go down a man, they survive, get to penalties, and they lose in penalties. Orlando undefeated all-time in penalties. Nashville still winless in its USL and MLS histories and penalty kicks. And we're here for a bonus episode to break it down and give you a special interview in just a bit. This is Club and Country. I'm Nashville, Nashville SC radio voice Wes Bowling. And I'm Tim Sullivan, the owner of ClubCountryUSA.com. We are the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from the two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. And Tim, once again, a disappointing knockout exit for a Nashville SC team that looked like it was going to have a glorious opportunity to host the semis and then potentially the final. How disappointing is this for this Nashville SC team? I think the the fact that Nashville is not moving on to the semifinals is it's disappointing, but it's not a big deal. But the way that it happened and um, obviously the way that, you know, a stoppage time equalizer is always bad if you're winning um, the way that it came about was even worse. Probably um, the way that Nashville went down to 10 men almost immediately in extra time, the way that it ended up being in penalties and Nashville is now 0-4 all time and Orlando City improves to 8-0 including their one uh, during their USL days as well so it was just a situation that yes every loss in a knockout tournament that feels less than great but this feel felt particularly gutting for Nashville SC. And by the way, folks, hold on. We have an awesome interview in just a little bit with Jake Zivin, the TV voice of the Portland Timbers. We're going to preview the Portland match as well in this bonus episode. But Tim, I want to ask a question I think a lot of people were asking on social media afterward, which we know is not always representative of real life, but mm-hmm. chances are a lot of people had the question. Nashville put out a first-choice side in this one. There's no debating that. Mukhtar is in. Walker is in. They did what I didn't know if they would do. Yeah. They, they pull Mukhtar uh, before getting, you know, all that close to, to, you know, stoppage time. Obviously, it's hard to foresee that you're going to give up the equalizer and, and go to penalties. But, you know, do you feel like based on the personnel moves that were made throughout the game, there was a shift at some point once Nashville got the lead and was holding on to it for a while of you know, let's start looking at Portland and start resting guys and getting, keeping them fresh and de-emphasizing the result? Or was it just the tactical moves that you would make because you're up and you're putting on defenders to try to see it out? Yeah, I think no decision is is made with a single criterion in, in mind, but certainly uh, a game like this where there's the opportunity of going to extra time, but you have a lead, so you're hoping that it doesn't go to extra time. It makes sense to put on Eric Miller for, for Randall Layall, for example. That's a situation where you are trying to hold on to a lead. You are trying to make that game end 1-0. You feel like Layal is is not back to 100% fitness. He's not going to be the guy to make it 2-0. So he'd rather put on a defender and, you know, hope that it doesn't get to 1-1. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. But I think, yeah, the rotation has to come into play, whether that's because Nashville just played over this past weekend or because they're playing coming up. These guys are human beings, (laughs) regardless of which game is being de-emphasized or if any game is or is not being de-emphasized. It's physically impossible for all of them to go 90 minutes or 120 minutes in the midweek three times in a row. It's just a situation where, you know, if Gary Smith had it to do all over again, would he would he run Hani Mukhtar ragged? Maybe, but um, I think it was a situation where you just have to do what you feel like you need to do to see out a victory, and unfortunately that wasn't what ended up happening. Sources have confirmed to us that Nashville is unable to sign a robot in the upcoming transfer window, so they will stick with playing only humans on the pitch, unfortunately. (laughs) Despite having recently played on the Fox family of networks. 
Those are my graphic sounds for Vox, in case you couldn't tell. Uh, we'll, we'll get to the low point in just a minute for many, which was the officiating. But but one other high point, I think, Elliot Panico. I know, yes, of course, it was his coming out of gold that ended up costing Nashville and allowing that tally. And yet even still, I think on the balance, Nashville SC supporters will see a player who is very young, who looks a lot more confident than his years might indicate. You know, Did he play his way into a battle for the starting position based on some of the other plays he made and some of the saves he made? Or is he going to continue, in your opinion, to be a very reliable 1B keeper who Nashville can turn to when they need to? I think he's probably still 1B, but he's a heck of a lot closer to being in a dead heat with Joe Willis at this point. And I think it has now come to the point where when he played last night, it was not because Gary Smith needed to rest Joe Willis necessarily. It was because Gary Smith feels like he has two keepers who are capable of going out and winning a game. And Panico almost did that. He, he almost, uh, you know, through regular time and in the penalty shootout, almost made just enough plays to win the game for his team. But in the long run, it's not about who is, who is keeper 1A and who is keeper 1B. With the way that the schedule plays out, it's going to be a situation where it is not Joe Willis every single time, no matter what. If Joe Willis remains 1A, Joe Willis is not going to play every single regular season game for the rest of the year, I wouldn't say. So it's a situation where you now have two guys who can play. If Panico shows that he can continue to play with the type of form that he played with last night, I think there's a very legit chance that he could unseat Joe Willis. But um, at this stage, um, we've, we've seen maybe there's a slight incumbency bias for Gary Smith over the years. And, and I think Joe Willis is going to benefit from that, even if he is um, maybe not quite playing as well as Panico, which is debatable in my mind as well anyway. But yeah, I do think that Panico has shown that he has the ability to be that second guy or, or possibly even first guy by the end of the year. Before we get to the interview with Jake, we have to address the officiating. Gary Smith was pretty demonstrative, as you might expect, in his postgame comments about... I, w- uh, I was expecting way more. Uh, I, I, I was I was <laughs> stunned how even-keeled he, he seemed to be, but continue. <laughs> no, I think that made it even more pointed, right? Because yeah. he wasn't screaming. It was just, it was mm-hmm. not treated as a strong opinion. It was treated as fact that the referee yeah. was just not up to the task. And I think both of us would agree. What was the most egregious miss? To you, was it the first yellow card on Sean Davis and ends up leading to Davis's second, which the second was a good one. That's a yellow all day long. What, was it that? Was it the the failure to ever get anybody booked for about 23 fouls on CJ Sapong? I honestly didn't have a problem with the foul on Anunga that led to the game tying free kick. I think Anunga could have gone for the ball and he puts a little arm into the man first, soft, but I think it's a legitimate mm-hmm. foul. Anyway, what, what do you think is the most egregious uh, violation of refereeing standards in that one? Well, I want to talk about a few different ones, so I'm not even going to answer the question. <laughs> but, Expound, but I think I think I think some of the most controversial ones. Uh, you didn't even mention the main one, which is the handball in the in the tenth minute. Yeah, totally um, clear. Clear as day. If there if there is video assistant referees in U.S. Open Cup, which there are not, that would have been a penalty kick to Nashville and potentially uh, a backbreaker. If you know coming that early in the game, you you have the opportunity, especially when you saw how Nashville dominated the entire first half before they kind of ran out of steam after the break after Hani put them up. That, that that changed the game and it was it was clear as day live and it was clear as day on every replay mm-hmm. um it's unfortunate that var doesn't exist in this tournament for that for that reason only of course but um some of the other ones you mentioned i think the, the foul that led to sean davis's first yellow card was very it was it was honestly a non-foul much less a yellow card i'm gonna i'm gonna take a slight disagreement with you about the anunga one too i you saw a lot of portland players or <laughs> portland players I wonder if we just recorded it. Zip it on the brain. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you saw a lot of Orlando players going down really easily in that 
they, they've done a really good job um, learning how to make it how to sell it <laughs> they, yeah. they they went to the wcw school of, of wrestling um but th that was another example of it I, I there were a few of them in the first half in portland's own or in orlando's own end that that ended what should have been nashville attacks too so um when you when you see the game playing out like that for me the the egregious stuff in addition to the handball which was just so blindingly obvious is after the half, when you have a referee who has gone into his dressing room and been told, man, you missed a clear as day penalty. You did not do a good job in the first half. And you, do, you don't want them to compensate. Uh, I, I, I always say, you know, it's, it's their job to, to, to make the right call. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there was intent behind it, but this, this dude was continually making the wrong call, continuing to, to pile on against uh, against national and again unintentionally it was it was not there was not a, an element of of trying to fix a game or something like that it was just a guy who was not up to the task he was just promoted to uh uh, uh grade one referee uh just over a week ago so i feel really bad criticizing him he, he refed his first mls game a week and a half ago um so this is this is a guy who you know i talk about it we 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 want to be measured in our criticism of officials not least of which because it is an extremely difficult job but at a certain point when you are when you are officiating a game between two teams in the quarterfinals of the u.s open cup there is a standard that is expected of you and that's what um that's what was not met um again like nashville had plenty of opportunities especially in the first half eight shots to to zero that made it uh past getting blocked and none of them found the back of the net and that's that's all on nashville for sure but um you know if you if you play poorly against a stacked deck it doesn't mean you're playing against a stacked deck essentially right. yeah as i as i tweeted during the game orlando's the wrong team to play when you've got a referee who is easily fooled that, that is <laughs> it's in orlando and it's a new york specialty what i didn't tweet and wanted to was that orlando doesn't like nashville 27 teams don't like orlando yeah <laughs> i mean they're Again, we try to be extremely measured in our criticism of referees. I don't need to go into this field that I went into a couple of weeks ago. If you think officiating sucks, go become an official. Yeah. Not only because it will it will give you a little bit of compassion for them, but also because the reason it sucks is because there isn't a good enough labor market that 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 means that they're the cream is rising to the top. But I I typed and deleted about twenty tweets, and I, I <laughs> and part of it I just don't want to look. I don't want to look like I'm I'm biased towards Nashville SC because. Uh, you know, it seemed like the the bias might have run in the opposite direction again, inadvertently, uh, last night. But it's it was just one of those days where Nashville wasn't getting the getting the uh, the benefit of the doubt on a lot of those whistles. We got a few mailbag questions. We won't get deep into them here. We've kind of answered a lot of them just in the course of our discussion. My favorite two were number one: you guys have to do a bonus episode now, right? Here you go, friends. Number two was here's my question: WTF? <laughs> Love that one. So I did like that one a lot. That was it was tremendous. Uh, I think we've answered most of those other inquiries here. So before we get to our interview with Jake, uh, just going to take a quick moment to give a shout to ML Rose. The highlights of my night watching that match: number one, the Mukhtar goal, which was fantastic; number two, some great Panico plays; number three, walking into my brother's condo and seeing uh, a koozie that he handed me immediately that was an ML Rose koozie, <laughs> and I uh, put it around my beer. We watched it at his place. We didn't go out anywhere, but but even still, ML Rose was very present in that, and he knew which one to hand me. He said, here's a koozie. <laughs> this is for you. So and even in my family now, I'm known as the ML Rose guy, uh, which is not a bad thing to be known as. It was. I felt like I you know, a little part of me was at ML Rose even as I was sitting there watching that match. I am the... Uh... 
the beer list might have been beneficial or, or possibly something harder than that list could have been beneficial for Gary Smith after the game, given how disappointed he was. And, uh, he, you know, I, I think from a Nashville perspective, there might have been a few fans who, who if you did, let us know, but who at least would have been very tempted to make it make their way to M.O. Rose and uh, experience the some of the libation products <laughs> after the result. Yeah, I think that's a little bit of, of consolation. It was definitely an order after that one. Uh, and now, you know, as we get into Portland, I'm really excited to bring you an interview with uh, with one of the most respected voices in this league. Jake Ziven is a guy that we'll tell you in just a minute on, in the interview intro as well. It's somebody that we both really respect. It's a guy that I look to as, as a good model of how, you know, American voices are growing in this game and doing so in a way that is um, really lending prominence to to our style, our tone, and we can bring in people, outstanding people from across the pond. And again, we've said here before, Tony Husband, who is a friend of ours, is a tremendous example of that. Any good league, need a good international league, needs a balance of those outstanding voices and some American voices as well. And Jake is a, is a preeminent example of that, as is his mentor and friend, John Strong. Uh, here's our conversation with Jake Ziven, the voice of the Portland Timbers. And after that, we're just going to end this thing. So again, thanks to ML Rose. Thanks to Moon Taxi for the music. Thank you for listening. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe. We'll try to keep these bonus episodes coming when we're able to amidst a, a busy few weeks here for Nashville and for us personally. But uh, thank you all for listening. Here's Jake. Jake Ziven is the television voice of the Portland Timbers. He also does play-by-play work for ESPN and Fox Sports. In addition to his Timbers duties, he's called matches for Copa America, CCL, Gold Cup, She Believes Cup, and Olympic qualifying, among other tournaments and events. Jake's time with Portland dates back to 2014 when he began as their radio man. And like me, he began his career as a sports reporter on local TV. Jake, congratulations for your escape from that wonderful world <laughs> and and for recent success from, from Portland and for you calling matches. It's great to connect with you, voice that we've yeah. both long admired here in this league. Thank you, guys. Great to come on the show. Looking forward to getting out to Nashville for the first time for a soccer match. July 4th weekend. Uh, I'm not sure what to, well, I know what to expect. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be wild and down, I'm sure. And hopefully it'll be a, an entertaining and a great match on Sunday night. I think it might be wild on the pitch too. We'll see. And Houston, yeah. or Portland's have a couple of fun ones, including uh, last night's win as we record this over Houston. I was listening to you 14 hours ago, maybe on the air, not too long ago here, yeah. as you were calling that, uh, that victory for Portland. How's the voice doing? How's the energy after that, that two, one win. And I know these midweek turnarounds can be tough. How, how you doing doing good i love it man i love calling matches we're so lucky you know to go into these amazing environments and atmospheres and and to be able to to call games i would do it every night if i could so more midweek matches the better Uh, there's obviously some challenges in prepping for the game right the quick turnaround and trying to to catch up on on the games you missed over the weekend and then that just can kind of pile up um but I, i love it we're so lucky to do what we do so yeah bring them on more games the better it's two straight wins for the Timbers. Uh, this club yeah. kind of had a, a few sputters at the start of the season you know, beneath the playoff line. But we all know, based on last year and years before, what this club is capable of. With three unbeaten now, after that three-match losing streak, is this team starting to hit its stride and figure things out, in your opinion? I think so. I think they think so. And I think, to your point, there was never any panic mode in Portland uh, during what was the worst start in club history, 16 points mm-hmm. through 16 games. The worst starting club. I don't even know if you can consider that a start anymore, right? 16 games is one shy of half the season. Mm-hmm. Um, so a difficult beginning of the year, but always, I think, the faith, the confidence that, that they turn it around and go on kind of the signature Portland Timbers run towards the end of the year. And 
look, there's a lot of veteran guys on this team that know what it takes to win an MLS and know what MLS is about. And ultimately, you don't want to be the team that peaks in June. You want to be the team that peaks this year in October and November. And the Timbers have been able to do that really over the past, you know, pretty consistently over the past seven, eight years. And certainly since Giovanni Sabarese has been the head coach, two of, of four MLS Cups they've been to. So they know how to do it. Um, and, and I think they're doing it now. This stretch that, that you mentioned, Six, they had six of nine home games over six weeks, starting on last Saturday against Colorado. And that I, I looked at that. We looked at that before our broadcast and said, this is going to define the season. And, and honestly, you want, you need, maybe not need, but you want to win all six of those home games. And if you drop one, you got to pick up one of the road games. You look for at least 18 points in these nine. They're started off two for two, beating Colorado, beating Houston. So mission accomplished. And it does feel like, okay, now they're on. Colorado, I thought, was the second best performance of the season behind the seven to two win over Kansas City, which, you know, they probably won't top. Uh, Houston last night was, they were, they did enough. And, and it's good to see them win a game like that because I don't think they were at their best, certainly in the second half after getting a red card, especially. They had to hunker down uh, and they did. And they held on and they kind of grinded out a two one win. And that is almost to me as important as Saturday, where especially in the second half, they kind of cruise through that second half of Providence Park as we see them do at times when they kind of take control of the game. Stadium's rocking, you know, two, three goals, and it's just they're kind of cruising to the finish line. Um, different kind of game last night, and both, I think, equally important to see them get, get three points in, in those different manners. I think maybe one of the things that's, that Timbers have had to figure out it, with it, over the past couple of years, it hasn't been as sudden as maybe the, the transfer uh, this offseason was, but, um, you know, the loss of Diego Valeria, a guy who has been a talisman for this club, how has no longer having him available, um, no longer having him from a leadership perspective as well as an on-field perspective kind of been overcome by the Timbers? Yeah, man, look, I don't, I don't, I can't say enough about what Diego Valeri did in Portland on and off the field. Mm -hmm. I mean, the guy, uh, there should be a statue of him if, if, if Merritt wants to build one uh, and, and Diego Chara as well, the two Diegos, right? I mean that if there's going to be a, t a statue outside of Providence park, it's the two Diegos um, on the field. You know, he didn't, he kind of midway through last year, right. he, he took on a, a lesser role. Mm -hmm. And if you look at their run to MLS cup, he wasn't really involved. He was a late substitute in most games. So and actually in MLS cup, when he came on, that was the best we saw him in, in months. And then he sparked the team and it was really good to see. Unfortunately, he missed a penalty, which, which is a brutal way to end his tent, like brutally unfair. And, and no one's going to remember that. And it's good that they don't remember that because the guy provided, Incredible moments, led the team to MLS Cup in 2015. And one of the best MLS players of all time, one of the best signings in MLS and, and in a way a transformative signing as well in, in MLS history. And Diego Chara was also. Um, but on the field, right, he wasn't that big of a part of their run to MLS Cup. So for this year, that that isn't that much of a change. Now, of course, in the locker room, yeah, and and off the field in the community, it's it's a it's a massive loss for the Timbers. Sebastian Blanco, for me, on his day is a top three player, five player in the league. I thought he's the MVP of the second half of last season. When he came back from his ACL injury, he was the key for them going on that late season run and going to MLS cup. He's kind of working his way to being fully fit and a hundred percent this year. And they're being careful with him because they know they need him in October more than they need him right now. But the past couple of games, I think we started to see him be at his, at his best or close to his best. 
this game against Houston was his third straight start. That's the first time all year he started three straight games. And he's only started two straight games one other time this year. Mm-hmm. So he, they're really being careful with him. But for me, on the field, when he's at his best, that fills that, that kind of historical role that Diego Valeri filled for the Timbers of being a guy who just has something special and has something different. And to me, that was the defining characteristic of Diego Valeri is he would take a moment better than any player in the league. And he wasn't, he wouldn't boss games per se. Um, but when the moment came, he took it, you know, we were going back at the, uh, like the Diego Valeri, uh, not retirement, but the video, the tribute video, when he left the Timbers that they put out and, and, you know, you, you hear, you listen to it sound. It's a lot of John strong. It's a lot of Adrian Healy. It's a lot of John champion. It's the national TV games, which are the biggest games, right? It's Portland, Seattle, Portland, LA galaxy, Portland, LAFC games in the playoffs. That's where his biggest moments came from. To me, that that's, you know, the, the biggest characteristic of Diego Valeri is he stepped up in a big moment, maybe better than anybody over the past decade in the league. And, and now Blanco is that guy. I think that does that for the Tigers. We uh, you mentioned some of those other prominent broadcasters, of course, you and John Strong with, with the, you know, I'm sure a great relationship and a lot of carryover there in in Portland. And, and he's taken that jump from Portland to being a national voice and calling international matches as well. And you've had that experience as well, you know, working with ESPN, working with Fox. Uh, tell us, I guess, the keys to your success in, in you know, that pipeline of, of being able to, to balance doing excellent work week after week with Portland. And you're always one of our favorite voices to listen to in those highlights, but also then stepping aside and doing games at the national level and keeping that league-wide knowledge and perspective as well. What's been the key to, to your success as you've stepped into those roles? That's very kind of you. First of all, thank you. Uh, luck, I'm sure, right? You know, for everybody, right? It's, it, it's a lot of luck. Um, yeah, John, I, John and I are close friends, um, obviously being, being in Portland and, you know, he's at the top of the mountain calling a world cup final, he'll call another one in a couple months. Um, he's been a super big help for me as well, because kind of he, he's, he's been through everything and beyond, right. That I've, that I've gone through starting with the timbers. He helped me out big when, when I transitioned to television and then getting some interest from national broadcasters and kind of how to, how to navigate that. Um, I'm an MLS nerd. I've been an MLS nerd since the day the league started, since I was 10 years old, growing up in Chicago. Uh, I remember where I was when Eric Winalda scored the first ever goal. I remember where I was when Eddie Pope scored the the golden goal for DC in, in the first MLS cup. And I remember how excited I was when the Chicago fire got a team, you know, in, in, in year three, being a kid in Chicago who played soccer and was my favorite sport. You know, I was upset that there wasn't a team. I was 10 when the league started. And then when the fire came in, thrilled, it was a diehard fire fan, uh, really until I started, uh, kind of working for the league. I interned in, in MLS broadcast department when I was in college worked. I was the bug operator, the clock and score operator on ESPN's game of the week in 2005 and 2006. When I was in college, I would fly to wherever the game was sit in the truck, the back row. I was like 10 years younger than anybody else in the truck. Uh, and, and I learned so much about television and then, and that experience also transitioned me to kind of a little more, both kind of emotional and, and certainly professional investment in the league as a whole and the success of the league as a whole and, and American soccer as a whole, as opposed to just, you know, blinders on Chicago fire fan, right? Like, which I was, you know, in high school. Um, and, and so for me, yeah, following the whole league, I mean, I, I, you can ask anybody, uh, speaking of Nashville, 
Kayla Anderson, who's a reporter in Nashville right now. Yeah. I worked with her in Missoula, Montana. We, yeah. were at the, we were at the NBC <laughs> station together. She could tell you Saturdays we'd be covering a, a Montana Grizzly football game. And then we're back at the station putting everything together for the newscast. And I'd have MLS live up on my computer watching <laughs> the MLS games from Missoula, Montana. I've always been a, a huge MLS nerd. And so for me, being able to, to do this, it's, it's, a, to, it's a, a literal dream job for me. Um, and I love being able to go and call other games as well, right? And, and, and you know, when it's, whether it's ESPN or whether it's Fox, to kind of, and call it from kind of a neutral perspective, it's, it's different, obviously, than calling a, a local game. Um, the focus becomes even as opposed to focus on the Timbers, you know, win or lose, right? The, mm-hmm. the, the Timbers go down 3 nothing. Uh, if I'm calling it for a Timbers broadcast, it's the Timbers are down three nothing. If you're calling it for national TV, it's you know Minnesota's up three nothing, right? Um, that, that's a different perspective. So from a Timbers perspective, I love it. you better I love hope it. it's not Minnesota. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. No, I did. Uh, I bring that up because I think the 2020 season opener, I called for Fox at Providence Park, Minnesota Portland, and I kind of just switched my view because Minnesota went up, I think three one in that game, and mm-hmm. so it's kind of all oh, the loons are flying. Right. As opposed to if it was a local broadcast, oh, Timbers are down. They got to figure out a way to come back, essentially. It's, uh, it's so interesting. And there, there are more questions than answers about the upcoming MLS TV deal. And I'm not going to put you or myself on the spot by going too deep into a lot of the dynamics at play there. But just at a surface level, you know, it seems to me that, that the league is, is taking a calculated risk here in assigning national voices across this league rather than continuing with the local broadcast voices in each market. How do you think, as, as a, an appreciator and a nerd who loves this league, uh, a self-professed nerd, you know, how does the league keep that ability to, to really zero in on individual teams and storylines and have that kind of intimacy that comes with traveling with the team and knowing it so well, but from broadcasters who are going to have that 30,000-foot view as well? How do you think they will best be able to accomplish that yeah look i'm with you that it that it's it's complicated for for those of us in the broadcasting world obviously there's a lot of unknown uh which i'm sure brings a lot of anxiety for all of our peers you know uh, ourselves included um you know your question about the kind of how to keep that that knowledge i think you know I'm not sure the best way to put this. I don't think it'll be a big problem. Nobody, nobody talks about the NFL and says, Kevin Harlan doesn't know about Pittsburgh and Baltimore because he's a national broadcaster, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody, nobody would, would bat and nobody bats an eye at whoever's calling the game on CBS or on Fox on any given week or Monday night football or Thursday night football or Sunday night football. Um, so, you know, to me, yeah, it's up to the, the people that are calling the game that are hired to make sure that they do their work and their prep and they follow all the teams and that they know and that they can. And, and, and so to me, yeah, that's it's the job, right? I'm calling Philadelphia, D.C. for ESPN uh, on the 8th next next Friday. Um, you know, I, I, I I'm across the country. I, I, I will be ready to call that game as though it was a team that I, you know, travel with and call every game. Obviously there's personal things about players and coaches that, you know, you know, when you, when you work with Diego Chara for nine years, right. I have a more intimate relationship and knowledge of him and his life and, and his personality than I will a player that I don't have that kind of relationship with. Uh, but that doesn't mean that, you know, I, I can't make sure that I'm prepared and an expert to call this game. And so to me, yeah, it's a job. It's the job and it's a task that will be for whoever's calling those games to make sure that, that they're experts. 
So from a, a national perspective and, a, and from a perspective of somebody who's calling a game in Nashville this week, yeah. what is your perception of Nashville? What, what have you seen over the first two and a half years in the league? Oh, an incredible success, right? Incredible, roaring success, especially coming in with Miami. I mean, I think the easy, maybe lazy perception four years ago would have been Miami is Atlanta, Nashville's Minnesota, right? And it, it has, could, could be nothing but the same. Uh, and, and, you know, that's not to, like, let's, let's done with the Miami talk, but Nashville specifically, they've been so impressive the way they've come into the league um, without that flashy, big budget um, and, and being a relatively small market. Um, and they've been able to have so much success on and off the field. And off the field, you know, that's different. But on the field is where a Cincinnati has struggled. Minnesota struggled in their first three years. Um, and, and Nashville has obviously gotten it so right. Hani Mukhtar, what a player. What a great signing that was. I think they built the roster the right way with Walker Zimmerman and Dax McCarty, MLS veterans who know the league, who know how to grind through a 34-game season, flying across country, know how to win. And then, yeah, and then getting other, other signings right. Gary Smith, obviously, um, you know, is, is doing it right there. I uh, am close friends with, obviously close friends with my my television partner here in Portland, Ross Smith, who now lives in Nashville uh, with his wife who works for Nashville SC, ironically. So this is the big, this is the big Derby for, uh, for their family <laughs> coming up this weekend. Uh, but through Ross and their connections, you hear a lot about kind of the, the, the inner workings of Nashville SC. And it just seems like they've gotten everything right. So super impressive, super excited to come to Geodas Park and uh, see that atmosphere. It'll be our first time. You know, we didn't, we didn't get to, to Nissan stadium. Um, the Timbers didn't play there. So uh, can't wait to be in Nashville. And it's been uh, so impressive and what a great success story for the league. Looking at the dynamics of the contest on Sunday, Bill Tuiloma is going to miss the match after earning two yeah. yellows against Houston. He's really become a fixture for this team. He leads the team in scoring along with Niascota, I believe with five goals this year. Um, yeah. But obviously, you know, center back, talented two-way player on that defense that, that has had its moments where it's been somewhat porous. Um, how does Portland adjust to his absence? What would you expect them to look to do in his absence? Yeah, yeah they'll be fine. I mean, they have a lot of depth there at center back. Um, they have three and maybe four, you know, guys who, who are legitimate starters. The other two being Dario Zuperich and Luis Mabiala, who, who started MLS Cup. Uh, and then Zach McGraw, who they really like. In his third year, he was a late draft pick out of Army West Point, first ever MLS player from, from West Point. Uh, and he got a chance earlier this year because Mabiala and Zuperich each had off-season hernia surgery like together at the same time. And they kind of made this rehab path together. But the first five games, it was Bill and Zach. And Zach was really good. Um, big body, different kind of player, kind of old school center back type. Um, and he played well. So, you know, I don't want to dismiss him. But, but really between Bill, Dario, and Larice, that's a decision for Gio to make every week. Um, his decision is a little easier this week. Assuming Dario can go for a third straight game, right? It's three games in nine days. Assuming Dario can go. Larice will come, come right back in and you assume it'll be Larice and Dario and, and they don't miss a beat. So that spot at center back, the Timbers are certainly have a lot of depth and that's going to continue to be a difficult decision for Gio over the second half of the season is which two center backs he starts on a weekly basis. Is there an area of the pitch? Do you think uh, will win or lose this game for Portland or Nashville? I, for me, what's going to be most interesting is what lineup the Timbers put out. This is their third game in nine days. Their first two were at home against Colorado and Houston and chatting with, with Liam Ridgewell, our other broadcast partner before the Colorado game, you know, the, our kind of perception is 
they go all in on the two home games, which they did basically the same lineup with one change that was necessitated by Christian Predis's injury. But basically that was early in the Colorado game. So it was basically no changes. Um, and they got the two wins. Now they, I'm sure uh, they'll see how everybody responds. There's some older players on this team. Diego Char is 36. He looks like he could play every minute, every, every day uh, still, but you know, you do have to be smart with him because he's 36. Sebastian Blanco is 34. We talked about the minutes and, and uh, Yaroslav Nizgoda is coming off a recent minor injury and he's still, you know, only seven, eight months removed from coming back from an ACL injury. So with Blanco was less than a year coming back from an ACL injury. Eric Williamson is a few months away from coming back, you know, for, from ACL injury. He's 10 months off from that actual injury. So who, who plays will be interesting, whether they rotate a lot, could change things. They might change the formation because of that. Um, so I'll, I'll withhold judgment on that until we get a sense of what the Timbers are going to do. Um, but I think for, for them, and I think this probably goes for a lot of teams is, is stopping Hani Mukhtar if you can, right. Helps what will be. And like, and if Char is in there, Char versus Mukhtar, we, the last 30 minutes of the game last night, this is a little bit of an aside. I thought when the Timbers were trying to hold on, it was a fascinating battle with Darwin Quintero and Diego Chara. Quintero mm-hmm. coming out with fresh legs, really changed the game for Houston as he can do. He, he gives them, you know, he, on his day, his skill level is, is top of the league. Right. Um, and they were just, you know, kind of going at it and Quintero was trying to chop back on Diego and nutmeg him and Diego. I mean, it was, it was a fascinating battle between two guys who are so, so talented. Um, so we'll see if Diego is able to go, then, then that's big for them. Um, but, but yeah, I, I'll be really interested to see, what geo does with with this game and and what the lineup looks like for the timbers yeah one of the themes that you touched on a couple times over the past couple answers is is the uh going all in on the home games and so far portland has been one of the teams that's had the biggest difference between its home and its road results is it because of some of that rotation saving legs for home games is that something that's um, going to be especially pertinent with the third game in nine days this weekend yeah it's been a weird season i think and you know if look Six days ago, if you looked at the home record, it wasn't that good. It looks a lot mm-hmm. better now because they got two wins. So, um, you know, if they can keep playing like this on the road, maybe in 10 more days after they play Nashville and Seattle, the road record will look really good also. <laughs> maybe it won't. Maybe it'll, you know. So um, I, I don't think there, it's been a rotation thing on the road or anything like that. They've had a couple. They've had one stinker on the road, which was Dallas. And otherwise, they've just, you know, been okay lapses at times and, and, and they don't get the result. So, yeah, I, I you know, I, I don't think it's rotation based. Um, I think it's just, it was a tough beginning of the season. There were some, there were some not great results at home also. Um, and I think we're seeing them kind of kick on now and, and we'll see again in, in once we get through this stretch, like, okay, is there really a big difference at home and away? Or was it first half of the season? They weren't great, both home and away. Second half of the season, they were really good, both home and away and, and the results show. Well, Jake, thanks for joining us today. Safe travels yeah. on your way to Nashville and uh, drop by the radio booth. Come say hi when you're hey. uh, when you're up there. We can share a bottled water together up in the press box before the match are hot We're going to need that. I, I'm, uh, I'm packing my American flag Speedo for July 4th weekend in Nashville. So. Uh, please don't wear drop by the radio booth. I retract my request. Uh, no, great, great to talk to you. And uh, yeah, you're coming to Nashville at a fun time. So uh, best wishes yeah, getting yeah. here and we'll, uh, we'll see you when you arrive. Thank you, guys. Great to talk. Can't wait to experience Nashville for the first time from a soccer perspective. Excellent. Talk to you soon.